Welcome to the Novatia podcast. Novatia is a student-run magazine at Yonsei University's Graduate School of International Studies. We're located in Seoul, South Korea. Novatia's goal is to bring student voices into the conversation on global affairs. I am your host and editor-in-chief of Novatia, Joel Petersson Ire. The topic for this very first episode of our podcast is gender equality and sustainable development. Our reason for choosing this topic is that recently, on February 14 to 15, the Global Engagement and Empowerment Forum, or GIF, for Sustainable Development, was held here on the campus of Yonsei University. It is an annual conference for speakers and experts from all around the world, hosted by the Institute for Global Engagement and Empowerment, or IGEE, and the Ban Ki-moon Center for Global Citizens at Yonsei University. One of the panel discussions at the forum was about gender equality. There were speakers like Helen Clark, the former Prime Minister of New Zealand. No decisions about us without us. Irina Bukova, the 10th Director General of UNESCO. 3.5 billion uh, people that do not have access nowadays in the digital new technology area, they do not have access to internet. The vast majority of them are women. The president of the Korean International Cooperation Agency, or COICA, Lee Mi Kyung, who here says that it is an objective statistical fact that there can be no sustainable development without gender equality. Today, I will discuss the topic of gender equality and sustainable development together with Novatia editors Sohena Mera and Minhye Park. So something that came up frequently during this conference was women's rights. And I wanted to make that the centerpiece of our discussion today. Because Sohena and Minhye, they have both written for Novatia on women's rights issues in their home countries, India and Korea. And uh, Sohena wrote about the Me Too movement's late rival in India, and uh, Minhye wrote about sexual education in Korea and how that relates to the issue of sexual harassment through hidden cameras in public places. Uh, and both those articles are very enlightening, so I encourage uh, you to go and read those. Um, so if we compare India and Korea, I, I think these countries face very different challenges when it comes to reaching SDG 5, uh, the Sustainable Development Goal on Gender Equality and uh, Women's Empowerment. Uh, the goal explicitly says that its target is to achieve gender equality and empower all women and girls. So, uh, Suhena, in, in your opinion, what are the obstacles to achieving gender equality and uh, women's empowerment in India? Well, uh, India is a very large country, and uh, despite what people may think, it has a diverse set of people who come from different religions, different uh, cultures, different languages. They look different. So we have a very heterogeneous uh, society, which is rooted in patriarchy. So because we have this patriarchal background, we have gender roles that have been kind of forced upon people from a, for a very long time. And uh, it's very hard to get rid of that in a short amount of time. Um, 
so since we gained independence, you know, in forty-seven, and uh, it hasn't been that long, um, it does make it very hard to kind of uh, gain advancement with so many different issues that we're facing. Um, when we have so much poverty, we have so much um, lack of education, things like this. So. When it comes to women's rights, I think the biggest thing would be education because we don't have uh, specifically sex education that's mandatory in schools. Uh, that is definitely something that kind of removes the um, importance of um, w- the role that women play when it comes to um, sex and also what role they have in society. Because women are expected to be a certain way and do certain roles, and that's it. Um, it gets very difficult when there's a lack of education on what women can do. So you're saying that it is something that is difficult to achieve in a short amount of time. But India became independent in 1947, as you said. That is still quite a lot of time, though. Many countries have improved the gender equality more in that time and they managed to develop in many ways Uh, Korea is a good example of that so even though it has not been enough time to completely reverse patriarchal structures in India there still must have been some progress since 1947 right the the progress that we can see is a lot of women taking on um, more traditionally masculine roles such as working that's something that um, women weren't expected to do. It was considered to be kind of a shame on the family if the woman has to work because it means the family isn't rich enough or um, able to uh, provide the woman a life of luxury, which is why she has to work. So women taking on that role of working uh, is how they began to gain the independence that they so need. And a lot of it has to also do with education when women started uh, becoming more educated and having a more you know wider world view they started seeing more opportunities for themselves um what it does you know still what the 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 issue i believe is that when a country has been patriarchal for such a long time and the power has been with one set of people for such a long time it becomes really hard for that group of people to let go of that power and uh, it might seem that it's unfair to let go of that power because women working or women deciding that they don't want to simply raise children could be seen as um, kind of objecting against the the power of the man man of the house so that is definitely something that still prevails in the country um because there's such a lack of education and uh, there's, you know, the the education is limited to the metropolitan cities in, in so much of a sense that when you see the media, you see a very um, stark difference between what, how people in uh, the cities are living and how people in, you know, the rural areas are living. So I have a quite limited understanding of Indian society in general but one thing is which is often discussed is the class system and the case system Mm -hmm. and so you are saying that since independence you've had some women being empowered but there are many women who still have not become empowered yes and this is kind of split along class lines Mm -hmm. along a rural urban divide yeah but i mean it definitely does have a lot to do with rural and urban 
um, the caste system is something that is not prevalent, but is still prevalent. It's a very uh, difficult subject. It, it's not there legally in any sense. It hasn't been for a very long time. Um, however, it, it does still hold uh, deep roots in the society in terms of where you fall, um, you know, um, in terms of e- economics, like in society. Right. Yeah. So if you want to achieve equality in any mm-hmm. sense, I mean, not just gender, then obviously these hierarchical structures, they, they, need, they need to go. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. But when you have to give up these traditional views, I mean, there's still a lot of tension. Uh, I remember at this forum, there was this person who was the representative of some conservative interest group, uh, if, if you remember that, Minier. And she said something about kind of wanting to maintain conservative values while still working towards sustainable development. Uh, so how do you guys think we can work towards this global goal when we have these deeply rooted local traditions? Personally, I think it's very difficult to maintain conservative views when you when you want to have any sort of progress. That, but that's me personally. Um, I do understand the need to stay rooted in um, values and traditions because they are where you come from. However, um, I, I do think that things need to change in a huge way. Um, when I think about my own country, uh, one big uh, tradition that we had was dowry. And dowry is uh, paying uh, the groom's side of the family money by the bride for marriage. Um, This has spiraled into a way for the groom's family to extort money from the bride. So what was traditional turned into something that's now being exploited now um you know indian immigrants who go to australia or go to other countries um and are settled there are extorting money from women back home because if you want to marry me you have to pay me this amount of money so where tradition you know was used in a way in the past to provide women money when they go on to their new life into the new life is now turned into something else so i do believe that tradition was something that was important back then but it needs to change with time uh, right so so turning over to Minhye now the the same kind of question that i asked to sohena uh, in korea which in many ways is a very different society from india uh, what are the obstacles to women's empowerment here in in your opinion um in my opinion the ideas of gender equality and women's empowerment are relatively new also in korea and as Suena said, we have some sort of gender laws for a long time. And Korea used to be, just like India, a uh, very much man-oriented country and still is sort of like that. So I think the biggest challenge in here in Korea is our long-time custom that women have been treated relatively unfavorable by the society. And... This has strongly affected the awareness of men, uh, men and women in general and the society. So I think the distinction of gender role nowadays uh, became blurry. But for example, I can see many Koreans still believe raising children can be done better by mothers than the fathers. So 
Uh, I was kind of very surprised the other day that my married friend told me she was thinking of quitting her job when she would have a baby in the future. But she used to be uh, very smart and responsible when she was a student, so I thought she would go for her career more than just sitting in house doing the baby s mm -hmm. So just... As far as I know, I think uh, South Korea has one of the most generous uh, like maternal leave policies in all of the OECD countries. Uh, and uh, still, th like that's often seen as a way to kind of empower women, to give them the, the freedom of taking off some time from work to, to raise their children. Uh, and, but in Korea, that's, people usually don't use maternity leave at all. Is that correct? Uh, as far as I know, yes, because uh, um, it's very uh, complicating to say and explain this policy, but in Korea, I don't know why, but even if we have some kind of rules or laws that we can have some kind of maternity leave or vacation, <coughs> but not everyone take that kind of vacation fully, to the fullest, so we need some time to uh, take care of their children, but we still are kind of afraid of losing our jobs by taking some uh, guaranteed vacation. So, yeah, that's what my friend and other mothers out there are afraid of taking maternity leave for their taking their babies only. And do you, do you know anybody who who this has happened to? Uh, not really, <laughs> actually. <coughs> normally. Uh, when my friends have babies, they just don't work anymore and just do some housework and taking care of their babies by themselves. Uh, I heard that raising just a baby and they when they just like breathe in their room, it takes 1.2 million one a month. That's oh. what I heard. So. Yeah, that's that's more than I cost per month. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, that's why they cannot really leave their babies for work and hiring someone else to raise their children is not really easy because as you know, uh, South Korean labor cost is quite expensive even if our minimum wage is quite low compared to other European or American countries. So, in in Korea, I don't I don't have the numbers right now, but there's a significant amount of the population that lives in cities. Uh, I I'm guessing now actually, but I, I would guess that it's more than in India. So in in India, while you have a quite clear divide between rural areas and urban areas, um, is there a rural urban divide in in Korea? You think? Um. Compared to India, I think because the size of the country itself is relatively really small, so we don't really have too much divide in the country itself. But I believe there are some still some differences in between rural and urban areas uh, when it comes to the access of facilities or schools. And and Korea used to be a quite rural society. Like the, the, what I'm trying to get at with this question is that, uh, do you think that, uh, considering that uh, Korea has developed faster than than India has and is at like uh, is an OECD country, has gone from being a donor recipient to a, uh, a donor uh, provider, 
so do you think that uh, maybe, and I can ask you, Suhina, uh, Suhena, I can ask you, Suhena, who has lived here a while, uh, would you imagine that uh, maybe the challenges that Korean women are facing today, are there something that Indian women might face tomorrow? Um, I think some of the challenges Korean women are facing now, Indian women are also facing. But it's a very limited set of women that are facing those problems. Because across the board of women, the problems that they're facing are very different. For example, at a rural level, you would have young women who are experiencing menstruation not being allowed to go to schools because they're considered unclean or not being allowed to go to temples, things like that. But then you have women in the cities who for example, have to leave their job if they have a baby because they need to take care of the baby at home. Or they're having um, issues like uh, uh, harassment at work. So these are things that Korean women also, I believe, are facing. But um, Indian women are facing other issues, which I believe um, is because some of the women that are living in the country are living in poverty and in conditions that Korean women are now not living in. So across the board, I think the problems are the same, but <laughs> and there's just more problems in India, I, I believe, as compared. So uh, I kind of want to uh, switch a little bit to the track here in the discussion. I wanted to uh, look at a specific thing that both of you brought up, but in different ways in the articles that you wrote uh, last semester. Uh, so kind of the role of technology. Uh, in and how it can kind of empower women to speak up for themselves. And I think that your articles actually kind of represent a dif different sides of this issue, whereas Suhena's article was a lot about, you were writing about the Me Too movement's mm -hmm. late arrival in India uh, and how women can actually use technology to uh, speak out about injustice. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, in, in uh, Minhe's case, she wrote about the, this uh, awful practice of Molka, which is installing uh, cameras in, uh, in public areas mm -hmm. and taking secretive, uh, like filming women in, uh, and, uh, and also men, I should say. But yeah, uh, in men, yeah. yeah <laughs> we, can, we can also be victims, yes. but that kind of also shows how, how technology can kind of become it can both empower women, but it can also be used to kind of uh, suppress them. Uh, so I'm just uh, thinking, like, for for India, what kind of, uh, how can you kind of build on the momentum of the Me Too movement? Well, the Me Too movement um, definitely was all about social media um, last year, and uh, it's it's still something that is. Uh, gaining momentum still. Uh, a lot of women are still coming out with their stories, a lot of men as well. Um, but with the Me Too movement, with the with technology aiding this, we also have technology tearing women down because when you have women speak up, women in positions of power speak up about the harassment that they've faced, or you have women journalists speak up about um, issues uh, related to uh, gender inequality. You have harassment through technology that they're facing, like uh, vicious comments online or their address, their phone number being um, leaked online for people to harass them, things like that. So we have also faced um, this kind of teardown of uh, journalists and women in, um, um, you know, celeb celebrities who uh, have spoken out. 
which has made it very difficult for women to speak out because it it allows for the entire world to somehow you know um tear you down online which is something that's so easy now mm. for people to do so so for uh, i mean korea also had a me too uh, movement uh, arriving a little bit a bit earlier mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. india but uh, still maybe a bit some time after it uh, kind of erupted over in hollywood mm-hmm. Um, so how has this kind of changed the national conversation on on like gender issues? Do you feel like it's had a significant impact? Um, to be honest, I don't really feel the significant impact on our behavior or awareness of um, sexual harassment in daily lives. But I think the reason why uh, Korean Me Too movement got attention was it was actually done by uh, one of the prosecutors. So, which could be considered as uh, someone with power, I think, compared to normal women, I mean. So, if I'm pretty sure that there must have been some cases in normal lives, uh, as we've s- uh, seen and heard after the Me Too movement in, in Korea, but unless she has some in the s- in that kind of position, I'm not really sure if Koreans are really willing to hear about that kind of stories in public. I mean, you know, as you know, and as I wrote in my article that uh, telling about sex in public or something similar is very much uh, considered as some sort of taboo here Mm. in Korea. So, yeah, but still I agree with that. As she said, uh, in Korea, the technology is also meddling in this situation mm-hmm. and i'm not really sure if it really worsened the situation or it improved it somehow to uh, publicize the story or s- the victim stories especially but yeah right. so um to kind of turn to the last topic that i kind of wanted to address um so we were talking that sometimes when you talk about women's rights a lot of people would tend to object and say that this is kind of a it goes against men or it's uh, you're not prioritizing like the issues in the right way and this is not how we solve like the big problems then you have a lot of people who say that unless you have uh, gender equality uh, you cannot have uh, other kinds of economic development as well uh, one very f- commonly cited statistic is that countries where where girls have access to uh, to school tend to do much better economically than uh, than countries where that access is much more limited so uh, the question i want to kind of ask is how can we make people understand like or how can we make people who who see gender issues as a kind of non-issue to uh, understand that this is actually something that's good for society as a whole so do you have any thoughts about that well um I feel like gender issues, women's rights are, it, it goes hand in hand with gender issues because women are half of the population. And when you have half of a community being oppressed or going through a struggle, then I don't think the other half can can live a satisfactory life fully. Of course, when you you know see the balance of power, it might seem like men are at the top and they they're having a a better time but when you don't talk about sexual harassment when you don't talk about mental health when you don't talk about the issues that men face the stress that they face the anxiety that they face when we don't talk about these issues men do suffer 
there's so many cases of men being sexually abused that doesn't come out or men are afraid to talk about it or men feel the need to be strong because men don't cry things like that so when you don't further the topic of women's rights then i don't think you can further the topic of men's rights i also agree with her and uh i think uh, ensuring women's rights is can be solved through education i mean this is a bit of like boring story but that's the only solution as far as i believe mm-hmm. Because uh, even if it takes the time, uh, we need to do it through education when people were uh, are at, the, at their very early age. I mean. Okay, so how can we make the, the people who are not at an early age? How can we <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. That's a really good point, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> I, I think a, a lot of people would probably ob- object to be put into you know, primary school classes <laughs> to be taught about uh, gender equality. Mm. Because the um, other issues that brought up because of this gender equality thing in Korea is, I think, the hatred between men and women. Mm-hmm. So, um, actually, so, yeah, as you said, it's impo- impossible to get people in older ages to put into the education, but... I don't know. We maybe we need some kind of more venues or spheres to discuss about the differences we have in more publicly. So when we talk about older people whose uh, whose values are already fixed, uh, and do you do you think that it's completely impossible to change the the kind of the mindset of the older generation in Korea uh, to uh, to s- to view gender equality as uh, something that's actually very valuable for the society. For example, we have uh, this conference that was hosted by by Ban Ki-moon, who is definitely a part of the older generation in in Korea, and he was the one who set up the uh, SDGs. Yeah, the, not only SDGs, but particularly the UN uh, Women Commission. Uh, or uh, now I'm blank on exactly what it's called, but uh, he he did a lot of work in the UN for for women's rights. So, I mean, at least uh, Ban Ki Moon could change. So, but I th- <laughs> I'm not suggesting that we make the, the entire turn the entire population of uh, of Korea into general secretaries. But but in case of Ban Ki Moon, I would say he actually exper- experienced many other societies in the world because of his job. You know, compared to. So I think he's uh even if he's in the older generations, but I don't think he's just uh, he can be an example of. So so question. so isn't maybe that's the answer then that you have to expose the, the Korean society, which is traditionally very close to outside influences, and try to kind of show good examples of uh, of what gender equality can do for a country. So, for example, like I, one of the first words I, I learned when I, I came to Korea, I often tell this story, I, I feel, but uh, it's the uh, word pukchi for uh, welfare, welfare mm-hmm. yes. Uh, and uh, it's something that a lot of people kind of, they, they look at Sweden, where I'm from, and they say, uh, like, oh, you have a very good welfare system. And uh, I'm not saying that Sweden is completely out of, like, doesn't have its own issues with gender equality. I didn't want to get in, go into that in this particular episode, but what I'm saying is that there are ideas that 
obviously have kind of taken root uh, in in Korea that are not like traditionally Korean. If you go back to this, we talked about with traditional values. So I'm, I'm just saying that there there could be something to be said for like kind of borrowing policies and uh, ideas that work from uh, from outside of the country, and maybe that's a good way to to sway not only the young Over kids the but also the the older one as well. Yeah, I, I believe that's so because um, many or older generation in Korea used to think that. Seeing some women figure in society, I mean, successful women figures, they think they kind of abandoned their duties as a mother or wife in their household, you know. But as you said, seeing uh, or being exposed to other environments like Mr. Pan did, it may help them to get better understanding of. Uh, women empowerment or gender equality, I guess. Right, thank you both so much for coming. I think this was a very interesting discussion about, about gender equality and how it relates to sustainable development. This is our first episode, so uh, I hope our listeners will, will forgive any of our amateur mistakes. Uh, but we really hope that, that you will come back and listen to us in our next episode. So thank you for listening to this first episode of the Novatia Podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you.